Hi everyone, it's James Dawson here and today's little podcast is just talking about the anatomy of a deal and how you know a great deal sort of comes together and I guess working back from the starting point of working out your equity. I believe that a great deal is a combination of things. It really represents using equity and debt and ideas and time sort of together so that you can pull a deal together that's going to work for you and perform for you for years to come. So obviously it's important first to sort out what equity you've got available and this is obviously cash or equity in existing properties that you've got. It's really important to work out how much equity you've got so that you can then set up exactly how much uh, money you've got to spend on a property or at least start looking. It's a great idea here to explore your uh, credit options that you might have so you know you could have a line of credit on your family home or another residential property that you have and they might pr provide all or part of the equity you might need for the next commercial property purchase or your first commercial property purchase that you're looking at or you might refinance some early commercial uh, premises that you've got to release some of the value that's been built up so the next part of the equation is debt so for each new purchase, your lender really doesn't care much where you're gonna get your equity from. You know, whether it's a vendor finance equity from your house or residential or commercial property or cash. In other words, they're looking to, you know, fund, you know, 80, 70 to 80% of the property and the other 20 or 30% of that uh, purchase price has got to come from somewhere. So you just need to work that bit out first and banks really aren't that fussed where it comes from generally speaking so you could actually get a money partner as well to fund that investment particularly if it's only going to be for a shorter time and that works for you let's say a property's got some great upsides and you might find you've got 30 percent that you can borrow perhaps from a family member or get them in on the deal where they share the profit but you really need a, a firm exit strategy to do something like that now when you're arranging finance it's obviously important to look at the loan structure. So we can look at a couple of alternatives here because there's several things that you need to keep in mind. It's not simply you know focusing on the interest rate and fees. You really want to try and build some flexibility for the future and you know take control perhaps of the valuation process so that you're not at the beck and call of the uh, bank. So that's uh, one thing I have suggested manual as well is to you know really talk to the valuers first and make sure they're going to do the job for you, certainly at the right price for the job, but also hopefully the right number for you at the end of the day. So it's great to have a bit of a frank discussion with them to see if they're going to support the amount of money you're looking for for a particular property. And that simply might mean, look, I'm buying this property for $480,000. Will you support that sort of amount for me on this valuation document? Some will be upfront and say, yes, it looks like I can do that. Or they might say, no, I'm going to be a long way away from that. Now, obviously, a few little tips here when you're applying for a loan. The more information you can put together for them about your situation and the property situation to make the loan application comprehensive is going to help you with your broker or your existing bank. Now, the broker will give you a checklist and you've got to you know, keep all this in mind when you're preparing it. A lot of investors don't have this documentation together and it really you know holds them back because it just take holds them back in time and also getting some uh, approvals and once you get all this information together obviously you can use it again and again with various financiers so make sure you store it somewhere on google drive or on you know, a system on your computer in a decent file so that you can 
punch this out to other financiers when needed and update it. So if you've got spreadsheets, things like that, and PDFs of tax returns, keep them all in one spot. That's a great idea. Another little tip, great idea to make sure you're available when you're applying for finance. I recently had a situation where a friend was applying for some finance and then was uh, you know straight away going on holidays overseas and there was phone calls and things going left, right and centre for a couple of weeks and it would have been much better if he either left that application till he got back from overseas or did it well in advance of going away. Also, chat to your accountant because if there's any other documents that need to be produced, it's great if you've got them on hand so that they can uh, really get that stuff organised quickly. Banks will always ask some other question that you perhaps haven't thought of and if you can get that to them quickly, that's gonna help you. Now, obviously once the finance broker approves your loan and sends you some documents, you need someone to go through those, so it's great to get your accountant and or your solicitor to have a look at those, but certainly read them thoroughly yourself and question anything that uh, the finance broker has put to you that you're not sure of. Now, if you've applied for evaluation yourself and organized a value yourself, as I often suggest, is a great way to go. You must uh, then arrange for the valuer to assign the valuation across to the lender. Sometimes the banks need to instruct the valuer to do that and they'll just send them an email or letter so, uh, to the valuer to organise that for you. Another little tip, if you haven't heard back from the broker or your lender, chase them up a little bit because often they've you know, got a million loan applications coming in and I always say to them, look, can I give you a ring on Thursday, something like that, if it's Monday, just to see how things are going. And if there's any little bits and pieces that need fixing up, at least you're on the front foot and can get that organized. Now let's have a quick look at some of the things that a lender might require from you. And there's a couple of things uh, with relation to security of the loan. And if it's a company, they're gonna want a fixed or floating charge over the company. And depending how much money you're borrowing, they may require that you provide additional security if the property is not quite up to shape. So this can come into play, uh, for example, when you're renovating a property or need some renovation, so it's got an upside that you really want to do, uh, you may have to provide additional security. So just look at that seriously when that happens. If they ask for that, you really have to weigh that up at the time. It's obviously something I prefer you to avoid because you really don't want a floating charge over your business and, and security over everything because that's going to tie you up for future investments. It's great if you can have the property really stand on its own two feet. Obviously, they, they may also require personal guarantees. But you know, if you can get away from this issue of cross-collateralization, that's gonna be a great thing for you in the future. Practically speaking, sometimes with property deals, you have to tie other properties in with the deal to get that deal going and then release them down the track. Bank might also ask for joint and several guarantees, and that's where the bank takes multiple personal guarantees for a debt. So in other words, if one party can't pay their part, the other parties have to take responsibility for it. And then there's several guarantees, and that means that if uh, only the particular guarantor that's responsible for his or her amount doesn't flow onto anyone else. So look, if you're unsure of those things, I'm not going into great detail with those things here. It's great to chat to your solicitor about that before you sign any documents, obviously. Obviously the best loan possible is what's called a non-recourse finance loan. That's where the property is the sole security for the loan being undertaken. Now you probably can't borrow as much with regards to LVR you're probably limited to about 65% if you've got a loan like that. So certainly discuss any finance questions you may have with your broker or your bank. They're gonna be the best port of call 
and then back that up by chatting to an accountant before you sign any documents for any sort of finance. You find there's lots of finance products around. We mentioned the other day about lease stock loans, low dock loans, things like that for commercial property. So obviously it's worthwhile investigating before you get too serious about a particular property. The other key point here after talking about equity and debt is ideas. And I know I talk a lot about supercharging and this supercharging growth of your property. And this is where you're able to add value to property over and above what the market might deliver during the course of your ownership. And it's a great way of boosting your equity. And you can certainly do that too if you've got a property that you could go into with a longer settlement and if you had clear ideas about being able to boost the equity or tidy up that property prior to settlement. Now a lot of people do this in residential properties but you can also do it with some commercial properties where perhaps you buy a property that really needs tidying up and getting a tenant prior to settlement and then getting revalued prior to settlement so you're boosting your equity prior to even settling the property. It's probably a strategy for more advanced uh, uh, property owners or investors and probably not something for your first property would suggest. Now obviously the uh, most simplest upside for a property where you can slightly supercharge a property might be that the rent when you buy the place is five or ten percent below the market value and at the next rent review you can increase that rent claw the extra rent back and also you know obviously increasing your cash flow and obviously increasing the value of your property there's another way to increase the value of a property as well and that's if you're buying in an area and I'll use Bondi's example it's you know becoming hot and trendy and more and more people want to buy commercial property there so the yield that they are able to accept or wanting to accept actually falls so the cap rate falls which means your property becomes more valuable obviously too if you're able to upgrade the property a little bit during your ownership and before a rent review and it might be just simply painting the awning on the front or doing something that you know is something a little bit of a gray area where the tenant's not going to do or they need prompting to do and this can be a, a deductible thing that you claim from your tax but it improves the property and therefore you're able to perhaps get a little bit more rent at the market review another supercharging strategy obviously is uh, subdividing one title into several smaller ones and I go through that thoroughly in the in the uh, course and obviously of course doing something in the backyard or above a property something like that so obviously if you can buy one property and turn it into several properties you're not paying stamp duty for a start to gain the advantage of having another property that you can sell and if you have a large tenancy another great supercharging method if you have a large tenancy is perhaps dividing it into smaller tenancies and getting an overall 10 or 15 percent increase in rent now 10 or 15 percent increase in rent doesn't sound like much but that could be something that most people would wait years to get that sort of increase in a normal rental situation so lots of ideas there you know atms uh, signage on properties all sorts of things that i've covered in the course just you know keep these ideas fresh in your head have some blue sky thinking get you know write them down in a notebook it's certainly something that you know you want to keep you keep these ideas to yourself as well don't go give them away to the tenant or the agent particularly if you're looking at a property to buy so I really suggest you know don't just lash out and look for a home for your money and buy the first property that comes along you know take your time there's always new properties coming on the market so it's it's sometimes a little bit frustrating you might have to wait a few weeks or a month to find some great deals and yeah, you know, there are other people in the market, but there's not as many people in the, in the uh, 
as in the residential market. So I would say just take your time, don't be pressed by agents and you will come up with a great deal. Another little point just about after the deal's done and after you've settled, you know, it's really uh, that I have mentioned in the course is having constant uh, reviews of the property every six or 12 months at least. All sorts of things need to be reviewed. Simple checklists are on the course online, documents there. But, you know, reviewing to make sure the rent is right. Now, that's pretty well covered in the lease. And if you've got an agent, as I suggest, it's a great way to have your properties is to have a managing agent, you know, is to review the rent. Obviously, that's got to happen every 12 months, CPI, and keep track of that. Get the agent to take some photos so you can look at the condition of the property and keep tabs on that so that you're able to keep that property maintained. And I think it's better to spend a little bit each year. If you do have to spend money on it, that is if it's not a strata title office, for example, if you own the whole building, obviously you might may have to do some stuff to the outside of the property at times. So you wanna do little bits over a period of time rather than have to do some major renovation in five years or 10 years because you've done nothing over the period of time. Obviously strata title, if you've got a strata title uh, property, which a lot of you guys would have as your first investment, make sure you're active or, or certainly annoying the, the body corporate managers if you're thinking that stuff is uh, not getting done so that you can keep the value of your property up. You're paying strata fees or at least your tenant is and you, know, you really want them to maintain the property as best as possible. It really pretty much is all common sense. It's about setting yourself up initially and knowing where you are equity-wise and then talking to some finance people so you can work out, they can help you work out what you may be able to buy. Consider also running some sample deals, pass them in the price range and say, look, I'm looking at stuff like this. Is this going to be a problem? They may flag some issues then that you need uh, to sort out prior to getting serious about a property. And then really going hard with uh, an unemotional view of the property when you're buying that. And then once you've found a great property and settled it, you know, don't just forget about it, keep an eye on it and have the regular reviews and that property should serve you well. And obviously if you've got any supercharging uh, methods that you can engage in that property that you pinpointed before you bought it, really crack on with those and, and do those sooner rather than later. So that's all for this podcast, chat soon.